Do you know what? The first thing coming up for me is I just want to do a disclaimer to anyone who's watching this. And that is I'm decorating my office at the moment. So I don't normally live in a hovel like this. Right, okay. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. my disclaimer. If you're watching this at home, I'm not some mad hobbit. Um, I'm just decorating my office. And and there may be some people who know you that'll be watching this at some point. But... Yeah, that think I've heard that story for several years now, and I'm not I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and but what you can see in the corner there is it looks like some kind of cleaning material, so that works yeah. in your favor. Yeah, that's, that works in your favor. Would, yeah, would I'm, we... I've not received any payment from that company. I'd just like to say it's not a <laughs> not a not a, a punt. And fortunately for you, what we can't see is what's behind you on the couch when you stand up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> where, that's where the bodies are. Yeah. Cool, man. So we talk. So we start about um, you know the mankind project and, and the men's work stuff, um, sure. and then just evolve it from there. How we got involved, but yeah, because you, you, I mean, you, you're very, very involved in the day-to-day -day running of the mankind project, and you do a lot of talking and promoting of it, right? I mean, here we're just talking about it. So I personally, I mean, we've worked together a lot um, on these trainings, but I've never heard your MKP pitch. Yeah. How do, you, how do you describe the Mankind Project? How do I describe the Mankind Project? Um, I describe it as a global brotherhood of not-for-profit educational organizations that provide uh, peer-facilitated men's groups and experiential workshops that help connect men with emotional authenticity, uh, a sense of integrity and accountability and a life purpose and I, I and I think that that vaguely it's as close enough as I can get to what we do without going into the minutiae of of how but I think that's a general uh, a generally accurate pitch of what the mankind project uh, does worldwide and being the Mankind Project UK and Ireland, obviously we do that for men of uh, these islands and of Ireland. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I've tried many times to describe it to people um, and myself, and each time it comes out differently, right? Yeah. I mean, I the one I like most is the one that the person who got me involved in the Mankind Project what he said was he said, listen, there's a weekend and it will either be the best weekend of your life or the worst weekend of your life. He said, but only you will know that. You're willing to take a try. And uh, I think often that's the pitch that works best because there's something about the Mankind Project that is a leap of faith. And I think that that's a big part of it and it should remain that way. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, there is a, you know, there is, there's no, there is a promotional sort of element to it, I suppose, just getting the name out there. But for me, it works on what I like to call and in the 12 step programs and things you refer to as an attraction rather than a promotion policy. Yeah. So, so it's not going here. Yeah, this is great. You've got to try this, try this. It will change your life. And that's the, the, the sort of flagship product that we're speaking of here of the Mankind Project, which is the initial uh, training, right? Yeah, the new, the new warrior training adventure, and then the, the support group circuit that comes afterwards. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, it's, I, on that as well, like I was, I was just sober for uh, about a year or so at the time. Um, and I was still struggling with stuff, you know, so, so, and this leads me into, to what, what got us there. And I'd like to hear from you as well, what got you there in a minute. Uh, and I was sitting talking to another alcoholic, a guy who'd been sober for 10 years, a little bit longer than I had back in South Africa in Joburg. And I was going, I'm sober, man. Like I'm going to these meetings, but I don't know what's happening. I'm still fucked. Like I cannot, something's happening here. I can't fucking cope with life. Like I'm struggling. I still don't want to fucking get up every day. You know what I mean? Like people are irritating the shit out of me. Like, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to do life. And he said it to me a couple of times. First, he said, because I was 32 at the time, I think. And he said, I think you're a bit young. There is a training, but I don't actually, I don't think you're ready for it just yet. <laughs> and then, and then six months later, we got together and I was in a similar space. And, and he said, well, okay, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I've done this training. Um, you, you seem a little slightly different place than you were six months ago. I think this will be good for you. Um, I can't tell you much about it. What I will tell you is just go with it. Yeah. And I, I, I still think, and I mean, that's one of the tensions, I think, with what we do as the Manco Project. It's like, so my role there is I'm development and outreach, right? So an element of my job is to go out and get the Mankind Project in front of people, you know, and, and to spread its message. But you're right. It's like there's only so much we can do in that way because it has to work by attraction. It has to work by attraction. It's the way it always has worked. Um, and how do how do we go out without giving too much of it away? And if we give too much of it away, it won't work as well. And that's that's one of the criticisms that often you hear of, of the Mankind Project is that it's a bit of a you know it's a bit culty. And everything we do is secret and all that kind of stuff. And and to me, that's just not true. Um, I don't believe we're culty, and I don't believe that what we do is secret. I do believe that we know that an element of trust and the unknown is needed to make it work. It's like going to see a movie and you know every section of what happens. That's not going to be, be a great immersive experience. Um, so we have to, there is a tension of, we know what the Mankind Project has is beneficial to lots of men. It's not for all men, but it's beneficial for a lot of men. And we want to spread that word, but there's also an element of, we've got to trust you'll find it when, 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 when you find it in a way. Uh, and it, it seems to work better that way. And maybe that slows us down, who knows? But it seems to be the the right way. For for the mankind project right now, certainly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's almost like anything worth its salt is going to attract um, sort of negative publicity, for lack of a better yeah. definition, right? Or detractors. I mean, anything worth it will. Um, and just to kind of clarify, you know, it's not that the stuff is a secret on the training. It's that it's like you're saying it's. It's not shared openly so that when somebody comes, they don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, and that for me was the big part. One of the biggest parts as well is, is for what I've come to learn in my life, which I didn't know before, and it didn't make any sense to me, is, uh, is, is me making the decision to take a risk. Uh, step into an unknown has such a powerful impact. Right? Because if I know what's coming, then there's no challenge to it for me. Yeah. I go, yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. I'll do it. You know, but I but I know what's coming. 
I'm not stepping into fear. Right. And it's I found certainly for myself by stepping into that fear and then making the decision to go based on the fact that I didn't know what was coming next. It's it's such an important part of that journey. And I think especially so much well, I don't even know if it's especially more so, but for men as well, that seems to be a big thing. I like controlling it. What exactly is going to happen? What's going to be my outcomes? What's going to be my benefits? What's you know what's what am I doing here? What's going to ha- what's the agenda for day one, two, and three? We get asked all these questions when people are asking about the NWTA, and it's all from fear. It's all from like I want to know what's going on, and you know just pushing back against that and saying, "What would it be like if you just turn up not knowing what this was going to be like, and just trusted the man who's who said that you might get something from it? Mm. How would that be?" And often that's when we get lots of men, lots and lots of men who go, "I can't do that," mm. and you're like, "Well, okay." then it's maybe maybe not for you at this moment right and but i, I think it's a, that's a, that's a big step in itself i'm trusting that this other man who's recommended it to me and these group of maybe 40 50 men that i've never met before are going to hold a space for me that's beneficial but they're not going to tell me what it is that's already a it's already a step. It's already a big step into moving towards a more collaborative, connected way of being from an isolated, controlling place. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that sounds, on its own, sounds, I'm just remembering now, I'm sort of putting myself in the place, you know, where I was before I did the training and what my life was like before that. And uh, like nine years ago now, when did I do? I did mine in 2014. So that was yeah, eight years ago. And uh, what you're saying there, to us now it makes sense, but if I put myself into the position of somebody that hasn't done this or, or hasn't moved into that space, it sounds like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, constantly having, I'm constantly having communication uh, conversations these days where I think the me, before I'd done it, would be thinking, who's kidnapped Lawrence and turned him into some kind of hippie? Because I don't really get the stuff he's talking about anymore. But that's the difference, I think. I mean, it's what a great thing is that things that used to be out of my reach because I'd be shut down to them, and now I now hold them as a possibility. And that's, that's, a, yeah, that's a great space to be in. Yeah. And it, it is that, I mean, the, the illusion that I lived in, and in my judgment, a lot of other people live in, is A, that there is control starters um, yeah. but also that that all of life isn't the illusion is is that that i know what's coming next yeah because all of life is i have no idea what's coming next <laughs> I, I, I heard this theory which i really like there's one school of psychology i can't remember what it's called um but they have this theory that everything we've created as humans, whether it be religion, science, laws, whatever it is we've created, are all to try and hide these basic truths from our, from our experience of life. And those basic truths are, you're going to die. There is no meaning. And life is random. Mm. Right? And, th- and those three truths... They're, they're, this this particular branch of psychology believes that they're the, they're the hardest truths for us to be able to hold 
and that actually on some level we can't live with those truths so we try and create all of these different things that so that there's a there is a sense of meaning so there's a so that we feel we have some control over the randomness uh, and that we're not going to die we're going to go to some other place this isn't just it you know whereas i actually think my life's benefited from embracing those truths right because it means this becomes a really special unique short gift right that's just an amazing thing how much if this was a simulation how much would we pay to take part in it yeah if it didn't exist yeah true story and what says who's to say it's a good simulation yeah and who says (laughs) you know we're making it up like we've got good stuff to offer yeah and you know like and this this is one of those bits now where i'm going to sound like someone who i'd never imagined speaking before but there's a there's a there is a bit of me that is coming to realize now especially recently there's been over like the last five six years there's been a lot of death in my life my mum recently uh my father a few years before that my son a few years before that right and each of those experiences was massively painful um but all of them there's been some gold in there there's been there's there's been something in there and what i'm starting to learn about life is actually that that the the bad stuff the stuff we see as as tragedy and the randomness of life like it's still just part it's still just part and parcel of the gift like you can't have it you can't you can't live a life without that the the pain is just as much as the as the joy and it's going to be in, if you're lucky in equal measure but you know it's the gig no one made a promise otherwise you know so it's like it's it's just part of that life that we're in is we're going to feel we're going to we're going to lose the people we love or they're going to lose us that's a, that's a reality if you're in a relationship now even if like say you're lucky enough to have met the love of your life whoever he or she is right well if you stay together forever one of you is going to watch the other one die right that's the that's the deal with being in love right if you have a child if things are the right way around they will watch you die mm-hmm. you know that's it's it's we the tragedy is is there and in a in a weird way it's just as beautiful as the joy because it's part of this experience yeah i really hear that man and and i can you know i can run over <laughs> yeah yeah sure and it's it is it's a it's a weird thing because there's there could be you know there's there's debates and discussions for it in, in every direction but i'm i'm on the same page as you and you know and i thinking about that piece there there is no meaning because i've recently i was having a conversation this morning with somebody over breakfast about a similar sort of thing the same thing actually just in a different vein um you know because i i feel like perhaps it was the the you know understanding that there was no meaning i've never really thought of that before but i i still i do believe that i can find something that fulfills me you know Uh, i I believe that there's something i can find that fulfills me but that's by understanding that the meaning that the the culture and society had me chasing is is non-existent yeah i mean you've hit upon the uh 
uh, you know, there's a, there is a sort of, well, I've forgotten the word for it, but there's a, there is a sort of duality in that, you know, it's like, when I say there's no meaning, the other side of that is I believe that, that the only thing that makes life uh, enjoyable in any way is meaning. So there's a, that's the word, the paradox. There's a paradox there, right? In that there is no meaning, but to me, that means there's no preordained meaning, meaning. but there is the meaning that I create. Yes. And that's what will get me through life. That's what makes the pleasure and the pain and all that stuff bearable is I've found, I've found meaning in this. And what, what I'm finding now is the lovely thing about is that you don't even have to find meaning. You make meaning. I'm giving it your focus so you can pick anything and focus on it and once you start to focus on it you'll find meaning in it like the carpenter addicted to carving wood he he found that because he started working with wood and thought this is good i'd like to get good at this and he got competent at it and then started to understand the process understand the possibilities before he knows it that's his life's meaning and it doesn't matter if it's you know, carving wooden spoons or wanting to change the world. The meaning gets you through the times of unhappiness better the better than chasing joy. Mm. And chasing something outside of you, right? Because yeah. the meaning comes from within side. It's what you create. Um, and yeah. And even just, even just happiness. You know what I mean? Like every, you talk to so many people and like, I just want to be happy. Right. Well, let me tell you, it ain't going to happen. Right. You're going to have fleet. You're going to have moments of happiness. Right. And listen, with all my heart, I hope you have more hope, moments of happiness than you do despair. Right. But if you're chasing happiness, it's chasing something temporary. It's like chasing summer the whole time. Right. But meaning, that's a different thing. If, if, you're, if you're looking at attaining meaning and chasing meaning, then the happiness, the good times, they just become a curve with this constant progression through it. And, you know, one of the biggest falsehoods I see in lots of personal development stuff around is this, this uh, trying to attain happiness and trying to attain peace. I mean, that's even more bizarre. Who's going to live a life of peace unless you're going to sit in your house and do nothing but stare at your neighbor all day? And then you're going to get annoyed with that anyway. Yeah, you're going to go, guess what? I just spent 20 years uh, staring at my navel and now I'm pissed off. How unfulfilled am I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. These are big concepts, right? I just want to put that out there. You know, these are big concepts and concepts that the, the person... I'm not saying the mankind project is all responsible for it, but person I was pre, pre uh, rehabilitation, pre 12 step programs, pre MKP. Um, this is stuff I would not have got. Yeah, me too. I mean, hands up. Yeah, I would have gone. You guys are fucking smoking crack. Yeah, and 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 in there as well. There's this. All or this could we not do that and go smoke some crack? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no more. Um, <laughs> You know, and there's this whole piece in there and acceptance as well. And, and what an easy thing to say, but what a difficult, you know, thing to attain. It's yeah. Understanding that if I just accept stuff around me, like the meaning I attribute to stuff or you were talking about, uh, it, it can be good and it can be bad. So 
that was this conversation I was having this morning is like, what is the joke about? This has been big for me recently. Like, what are we? We're born, we put up with shit, and then we die. Like, and we're literally here for effectively the blink of an eye. What are we doing? What's the programming in us? If we're so developed and so advanced, why have we not found a way to, 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 to not be controlled by stuff beyond us? Yeah, yeah. How do I choose? Because effectively, it becomes a choice eventually. Why am I choosing to be miserable about stuff? Why am I choosing to spend the time I have here complaining about it? Um, I'm listening to a book for the second time now, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Have you, have you yeah, yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> and and I've, it's really cool. I like it. And, and you know, this, it's, it's recycling of some stuff that I've heard before, just in a different way, like most things, right? Yeah. And, and one of the lines he comes out with is that thing of like, you know, how do you attain peace and happiness? And one of the things, or happiness, and one of the things is, well, find something that you love and follow that. Right? And then the other thing is, is what would you do? How would you live if today, if you knew today was your last day on earth? Yeah. Right? And, and the way I used to take that, and the way a lot of people used to take that, I would have been like, man, I'm going skydiving, I'm getting wasted, I'm taking all the acid I can find, I'm getting fucked, I'm going to go get laid, I'm going to do all of these things. But he put it in a you know in a different way, and 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 it's like, well, what would I choose knowing that today was my last day on this planet? What would I choose to think about? What would I choose to fill my head and my body with on that day? How would I treat the people I love? How would I interact with people that came into my space that day? How would I want to leave this all if I knew that today was my last day? And that yeah. made me realize, like, I have, I do, I've got, and, and I'm starting to realize more and more that I have a choice. That thing used to baffle me. It'd be like, Brad, well, hey, you can choose to be different. I was like, how? I don't know how. Tell me how to choose. Um, but I'm starting to realize more and more that there's a choice involved, and it's what I attribute to it. You know, and, and, and if I'm upset with something, or I can't handle something, or someone pisses me off, it's not anything they've done specifically. It's my inability to be able to cope with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I once put... Uh... I once put something on a tweet, which turned into being the most successful tweet I ever had. And uh, 16 likes. I, I, had, I had four people like that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I said, um, I always thought the journey in my life would be outwards and upwards, but it's turned out to be inwards. Mm. Right. And, and what I mean by that is even the stuff like when people say, well, just find what you want right? Just find what you love. So much of what we think we want and love is mimetic, you know, meaning that we've just mimicked our parents, our friends, our society around, because we have to as an animal, you know, we, we learn to pick stuff up because we, we learn to walk because we see people walking. We learn how to peel an orange because we copy someone copy an orange we learn how to speak because we copy our parents lip movements and like everything is is copied right and so of course we also take on the desires of our cultures the desires of our parents the desires of our friends um and even so even when we talk about what we want what we love it's either a move towards what we've mimicked we want or a rejection of but it's still it's still affected by our culture, our families, our friend, whether we reject it and say, that's not what I want. I want something completely different to that. It's still affected by it. 
So there's there's a very long, honest journey inwards to be taken before we can even work out what we truly want. And that's one of the things I think bringing this back to like the new warrior training adventure, you know, I, there's an element of that, as we know, where there, there's a descent inwards. And to me, that was part, that was a sort of, you know, it's not a cure-all and it's not a one-time thing, but I left that weekend knowing that I touched a part of myself that was a pre-memetic desire. It was like there was something, I touched something authentic in me. And, and although I touched it very briefly, it was an anchor. There was an anchor that somewhere in me is, is this possibility of the person that I was before events and everyone got in and told me how I should be and mm. put me on track or off track, whatever it was. But just having a little anchor of a tiny glimpse of how I could have been, not how I could have been even, that's a wrong way because that's too outcome based, but how I could have felt. And, and, I, and I think that's what Jung talks about when he says, I, I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly, but there's a quote I love by Jung where he says something along the lines of, I don't try and be a good man, I just want to be a whole man. And and that was the bit for me. There was that moment on the weekend of, of my descent where I got a sense of what I would feel like if I was whole. If I hadn't gave little bits of me away in exchange for affection or status or acceptance. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I totally do that. And thanks for that. And, and what, what, what came up for me there is, is like, for me, because there was a piece that I remember pre all of this and there's a saying i like it like trust everybody up to the age of under the age of five and everybody over the age of 85 because because <laughs> everybody else in between is so fucked up by society so sort of done in and piled on by all the expectations and the projections and everybody else's shit like you know up until you know five is where people generally start going to school and up until then uh, everybody is the strongest everybody's the fastest everybody's the funniest everybody's yeah. you know free and then we get to this class we start to go to school and we realize that there's people stronger than us there's people faster than us there's people funnier than yeah. us and and we start getting shouted at and we start getting into trouble and then over 85 i think people generally 80 85 somewhere around there they've just gotten to the point where they couldn't be bothered anymore to be nice to people if they don't like them <laughs> they don't realize there's not yeah. enough time left Don't you just tell him to fuck off <laughs> exactly and we've so what we've done as a society to be able to cope with that is we've called them cantankerous yeah 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 <laughs> and we've also done or immature yeah exactly or uh, we've managed and we've managed to to put children under five into categories that we can kind of understand them in oh they're just a children they don't know what they're talking about but meanwhile though that child will walk up to somebody and go you know you smell funny you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, or, or sitting there like it's really fun. Like you know, being a dad, you've had them moments where like you're you're sitting there. I certainly had those moments. I'd have my son on my lap, and there'd be someone come on who, you know, was was disabled in some way or something, right? And of course, my son's never seen that before. So he's there and he's just staring like, what's up? What's up with them, Dad? You know, because he's not seen it before, and, and I'm there dying inside like. Son, don't stare. 
you know, don't <laughs> actually be like, actually what he's doing is the completely normal thing. Yeah. I mean, I've not seen someone like you before. I want to understand you. What, what, what is that? Right. Rather than the, the mature adult thing of pretending we're not seeing anything different. Mm. You don't want to be uncomfortable. So then I don't get to know that person. I don't get, I don't get to understand. And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking being a parent when you see that stuff changing. Like one day you see them and you go, what do you want to be? And they go, I want to be like a pro footballer and an astronaut. Right. And you go, great. Right. And then, then one day you're talking to them and you go, what do you want to be? And they go, I don't know. I reckon if I tried really hard, I could maybe be a dentist. Right. Yeah. I'm not yeah. that there's anything wrong with either of those things. Right. But it's just the, the, limiting of ideas and, and not that people should go through their life with completely unrealistic expectations but there is definitely a a, 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 a boxing in a, a smallening of people a lessening of, of of people as as they grow older that we do and you know and and, I, and you know i often come again came up against it myself you know my son is 13 now and he's still a really affectionate uh boy right turned into a young man and still he'll go to like hold my hand and we're walking down the road and and still a bit of me wants to go you got to stop holding my hand now brother because people are going to start like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah there's gonna, some some other right. shit like keto stuff going shit. On. yeah next thing they're going to think <laughs> with that young boy and all of that stuff comes in that society is doing and it yeah. makes me want to take my hand away from my son and i have to remind myself no fuck that the most important thing is that he feels connected to me i'm his dad most natural thing in the world that he's going to want to hold my hand mm. right why not if it was a and, daughter no one would care yeah and what a pleasure right at 13 that he still feels comfortable enough to be able to do that at 13, I might have felt, I probably felt too awkward to do that. Listen, at 13, yeah. not a chance in hell would I have done that because I, mm. uh, my survival was based on everyone had to think that I was formidable. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have done that, even if I'd have wanted to. And and that's what I mean. It, it's insidious, you know. It's insidious in our in our culture that we want to go no you can't do these certain things and i get it why because survival is based on it and don't touch the fire because it burns you don't get this because you'll get rejected and if you get rejected that means death as a species you know all of that stuff i get why but it's still hard to see how we how we limit and and our society changes our children as they go through the journey of life yeah, and having experienced it, let's say yourself and myself, you know, we, we experienced these things as well. We were on the receiving end of all of it. And then we get to a certain age and, you know, and I think that's why people tend to get to something like the Mankind Project or all the various different things around the world at that same sort of time. Because we've been through that journey and we're at the other end of it and we're going, some of that stuff was really useful mm. and some of that stuff has really screwed me up mm. and i think what the nwta does and the mankind project once you get into the men's groups is it gives a space for me anyway to be able to go what's the what's the beliefs and the lessons which i've learned that are useful to me 
And what are the ones that have screwed me up? Yeah. And, and how do I restructure that into a way now where I can where I can use that knowledge mm. in a better way? Because you don't have much control over the first part of your life. Mm. Not as much no. as you do the second. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because like I remember even as a teenager and in my early 20s, that's just this rush to want to be perceived as an adult. Yeah. To be perceived as mature and as someone that I know what I'm talking about. And the older I get, I'm like, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like a child. <laughs> Absolutely. And like the greatest lesson that I've, the, the blessing that I am getting, because I'm going to be 49 in February, right? Yeah. So I'm officially kicking the ass of 50. Sweet. Uh, and like the bit I'm loving about that is every year I get older, every year I give less fucks about what mm. people think when i was when i was a teenager like i couldn't leave the house without thinking do i look right right is this right right is this for protection you know for protection and acceptance do i look tough enough to leave this house right my walk right walk out the house suddenly my strut came on i had to bowl around a bit because i needed to inflate everything was curated every part of everything how i spoke how i dressed how i walked it was it was curated right for acceptance and bravado and and now my wife goes to me sometimes like are you actually gonna wear that out of the house and i'm like yeah because <laughs> i don't give a fuck yeah. <laughs> and and that's been one of the greatest gifts of, of getting older is and and actually the sadness I see in when I when I see younger men and women now and I think man the pressure on you is so great mm. just to try and be to, just to have to be certain ways and more so with all the advent of social media and you know the way it all flies around instantly on cell phones and stuff and um you know, you, you mentioned as you get older and things change, and I, I agree, I concur, and I heard stories of that growing up. I heard uh, adults say that. However, I'm aware of the fact that there are people that are 49 and 50 and older that are still affected by the things that you were affected by when you were a teenager. Yeah. Um, and the process is like what the, the stuff that we learn and, and go through and manage to learn about ourselves, I speak collectively here, uh, at the Mankind Project. It, it may not be wholly responsible, but it certainly starts the process of being able to develop through that. So let's just, can we say, let's circle back a little bit around to the beginning about the type of man you were before you, you did the training and what got you there? Okay. Um, so, you know, I grew up uh, East London in the 70s through the 80s to the early 90s right that was my growing up period born 1974 um you know turned 16 1990 uh so that that was my childhood period and east london was a very different place then right and especially the part where i grew up is probably the most gentrified place in the world at the moment dalston in east london and uh but before that it was rough you know that was a, that was a rough place. Cap, you couldn't get a cab there, and pizzas wouldn't deliver there, right? That's what it was like. And and my dad was a, a career criminal, had been in, in and out of prison most of his adult life. Um, and so 
my environment was 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 always seen through that lens you know my dad had a, a, a say one of my dad's favorite sayings was he used to go son if you're not a predator then you're prey that was kind of his view of the world and 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 i've got to say for the first probably 20 years of my life that seemed very true that was good advice um, that advice kept me very safe because the world that I saw around me at that time was safety was at the top of the pecking order. If you were at the bottom of the pecking order, that was a very vulnerable and rough place to be. Um, and so, so it was a world of like microaggression, everything, a joke was loaded. A, a nickname was loaded a comment about someone's shoes was loaded it was it was a microaggression jostling for hierarchy the whole time and uh and i remember you know i got i got very good at that game like i wasn't one of the victims of that game on a on an external level i got good at playing games that men play i survived very well in that you know, I I got the stuff I needed. I always had good looking girlfriends. You know, I, I'd done the stuff that seemingly was good. I was funny. I was the guy that people liked. I was also the guy that people feared. Right. It was like I was good at those games. Um, and. And then. Once I entered a different world, once I entered a different world, a more professional world. Um, that kind of unraveled because that currency didn't came, carry quite the same weight. And so it started, I started unraveling. And that's when I sort of got involved in, you know, the drink, the drink took a level where it wasn't fun anymore. The drugs took a level where it wasn't fun anymore. Um, I was just out of control. Really, I actually wrote a film at the time, which I made. I made a feature film at the time called Monster, because that's how I saw it. I'd become a, a, a parody of myself, like the monster I'd created. It was like a Frankenstein thing, right? It was like the monster that I'd created to to be able to thrive was now the thing that was destroying me. And and I had that realization. I started to unravel, and. Um, Luckily, a boss I had at a time, I didn't know, but he was a, a leader within the Mankind Project. And um, he basically could see exactly what was going on. And kind of took me to one side and said, listen, there's this weekend, right? And this is how he pitched it to me. He, he tricked me, right? So he said to me, we were having a conversation about drugs and stuff like that. And and I said, well, you should try everything once, right? Mm. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's interesting you say that because I've got this weekend, right? And uh, and he said, it's either going to be the best weekend of your life or the worst weekend of your life. And he said, but I think you're going to really benefit from you. And he said, and here's the deal. I'll pay for you to go on it, right? And it was a lot of money then. This is like 2002. I think it's 500 pounds. And he said, I'll, I'll pay for you to go on it. He said, and if you come back from it and you say, nah, I got nothing from it. He said, I'll just swallow that money. 
And he said, but if you come back and you say, yeah, that was really good. He said, then it's important that you pay for it. He said, so then you can, we'll look at how you pay me back. Right. And so I was left with no option other than, well, I said I'd be willing to try anything and there's no risk in this for me. So I'm going to go. So I went off to the NWTA with all of the wrong reasons, really. I went off thinking it looks a bit like a cult from the outside. Surely it can't be a bad thing to be in a cult with your boss. I reckon that would be quite useful. You know, all the manipulatory stuff that was going on. Um, and then almost straight away, there was a process where I thought, I'm not going to name the process, obviously, but at the end of that process, I thought, these games I'm playing ain't going to work here anymore. These strategies of just diverting everyone's attention ain't going ain't gonna to work. And the exhaustion that I felt at that stage, it was just like a massive relief. I remember just being like, I'm just exhausted because I can't keep up this game of being the man that I think I need to be anymore. And I've got to get authentic because I'm tired. And and that was really, that's really the man I was. And that's how I got into MKP. And, and that was the main thing I got from it. Was I don't have to play, I don't have to play the game of being a man that I thought I had to. Mm, thank you, man. And Dale, thanks for sharing your story on that. And I'll, I'll just briefly share a little bit of mine in a second as well. Um, and and it, I, it's just really important for me, you know, that to see and hear about the person before and the person afterwards. Otherwise, it's it's all good to hear all of this big theory stuff that we're talking about and all these kind of woo-woo ideas and all of these things that are that could be new agey or whatever. And, and that could be, that could just sound really, really big. I'm aware how that could sound really, really big to people. Yeah. Um, and so appreciate you sharing that version of it. And just to, to kind of balance the scales here a little bit, you know, mine is similar and different, you know, very angry growing up. Uh, whether they like to admit it or not, was an abusive household childhood, you know, just really never understood, dropped out of high school. I was I was that kid walking around with a packet of smokes in my jocks, uh, bunking out, drinking, doing all that stuff. Um, you know, fucking, I was writing other people's exams for money, you know, like <laughs> all of these things, uh, playing poker in the back of mass class, all of that stuff, lining up, getting jacks all the time. Um, yeah, I, I left school, got involved in, some, you know, some things I shouldn't have, carrying weapons, all these things, alcohol, drugs, addiction, arrested multiple times. Um, it's interesting, that came back to, to sort of this morning, it came back to me, the woman I'm seeing, she works for the police, not a policeman, but she works in the police force. And she posted some of the stuff, I think, from the podcast on social media, and whoever was reading it had linked to the website, my website, and on the website's the story. And it says about, you know, this is part of my, in South Africa, I've been arrested multiple times. So they pass that information on to somebody because her working in the police, she has to disclose this stuff. Is this a problem? Are you with somebody that's been convicted? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's spun around and it's, it's completely, you know, it's having the, the impact that it was not intended to have, but it's an impact altogether. Sharing the story is about sharing for identification. 
but just an interesting part of that. You know, and there's a cycle of things, but the things that are very similar are, you know, I guess a sense of feeling lost, lost and realizing that this world wasn't working for me. My life was falling apart and that the way things were inherently had never really made sense to me. And I was really hoping and grasping for a better way. Um, you know, and, and that's because my life was chaos. Pretty much everybody I came into contact with, I disturbed somehow. You know, I owed an apology to afterwards because of my behavior and the way that I was. And, and I wasn't happy with that. My life was falling apart. And that's the stuff that brought me to, the, to MKP as well. And, and equally, the man who recommended to me paid for it as well. I couldn't afford it at the time. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's an important part, isn't it? That link between both of us there, where someone someone else opened that up, mm. and that's not, you know, that's not always common within men. So you go, here's this thing. I want to give you this thing because I think it's going to benefit your life, mm. right? And it's one of the things I love about the Mankind Project is, um, you know, there's a saying that goes around in it that we've been successfully not making money for forty years, and we're not about to change that now. You know, it's like there is an element of the giveaway to it you know whether that's men giving it to another man or whether it's the community crowdfunding so someone can't come on or even just the fact that you know 50 of us pay our own airfare and a fee mm. to go and put the training on mm. So that it can be, and although the men have to still pay, the fact of the matter is, and, and I know because I work for the organisation, so I can say this with hand on heart, if you look at the numbers, how much a participant pays would not cover them to do that training, mm. right? It's subsidised by the men that go on there, yeah. right? So we're making it for each other. They're contributing, we're contributing, so that... So that we can create a space where we can meet each other and do what we want to do. And that that thing of giving, of everyone giving a little bit, is what makes it so special and so unique. Because if you tried to run the numbers of an NWTA, right, you know, if you switched it from the staff paying to go to the staff being paid to go, even at a minimum hourly rate, mm. right, Men would have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to have that experience. Thousands of pounds. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about 50 men on site, mm -hmm. 24 hours a day for two and a half days. Right? Like it's massive. If if we were having to pass the airfare on to the participants, pass all that stuff on. Food and accommodation and all of that. Yeah. It would be thousands and thousands. And that's what makes it so special, I think. Mm. It's what makes yeah. it, and it, it's what makes it quite unique in the in the personal development arena as well. Is you know most things are there, they're they're corporations geared around making money ultimately. Not in a and there's nothing wrong with making money for what you're good at. So it's not it's not to do with that and things that benefit people. But I think it's one of the things that makes the mankind project unique in that way and, and has gave it the longevity i mean it's it's the longest running men's specific personal development program in the world and and i think it's because it it works in that way 
Yeah, it's really, uh, really effective in, in, a, in a strange, in a way that that is difficult to describe or yeah. even, even kind of pinpoint. And again, it's like not everything about it is going to be for everyone, but there's pieces to take away. And staffing, doing the staffings after the training is a, is a been even a bigger learning curve for me certainly, yeah. um, than the training itself. So yeah, it's not only that we volunteer, we pay to go through and do it as well. And it's kind of the gift that keeps giving in a weird sort of way. You know, it's, it's sort of moments where you think, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then and then something else comes and you think, ah, oh, actually, it's great. You know, it's, re it's a really, really funny thing. And like, you know, service is such an important part of it. You know, I've been on trainings where I've gone into the kitchen and, you know, there's a, a painter and decorator, a guy who's just come out of prison and a high court judge you know next to each other peeling potatoes peeling potatoes washing up <laughs> listening to music really enjoying themselves right yeah. and all connecting and I, and I think where would this where where else would this happen right other than like say in the rooms or stuff after after recovery where else would this happen you know creating those spaces is it's really you know it's multi-generational it covers it covers class it's getting better with diversity of all forms you know it's a it's it is a I'm sound like an advert now which i don't want it to be do it if you want don't if you don't yeah um, no, it's still, it doesn't but, sound like an advert no it's i i hear a man that's that's really enthusiastic and proud of it you know proud of yeah. the, the the incubation uh, that it creates right the incubator that it creates God, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, very, very beneficial work. I'm also aware, you know, that we tell our stories and and at times there's people listening that might go, well, wow, I don't have stories that sound like that. You know, those, those stories sound hectic. I wasn't arrested. You know, I didn't do this. I didn't take drugs. You know, all of these things. And, and I'm aware that some people can listen to that and go, well, mm, clearly maybe this stuff's not for me. Hmm. It is. And it shows itself up in different ways. And And, you know, I wouldn't want somebody else necessarily to have this experiences that i've had to get to the place that i needed to get to because it, it was horrible you know and there's not a lot of things that i say were horrible but it was it was a drag man it was constantly constantly painful you know it was constantly forgiven lots of it was traumatic you know and and i remember states and times in my life thinking is there anything else sort of bad that can happen that hasn't happened to me already <laughs> do you know what i mean and, and, you know, the thing is with that is like a man's wound is his wound. Mm. I mean, like it can be, I've seen, you know, I've worked with guys who, you know, suffered severe sexual abuse at the hands of their whole family. You know, I've worked with people that um, had everything conceivable you think they'd want, but that but they didn't have the love of their mum or their dad. Mm -hmm. Right? Or I've worked with people who it was all working perfectly for them. Everything was going great. Dad dies suddenly at 14. Right. You don't know where the wounding is kind of kind of come. And sometimes it's even more kind of seemingly pedestrian than that. It's just I've gone through my life and everything seems to work. And I've hit a crunch point now and I want something more. It's it's not a sort of trading or valuing of wounds. It's what wounds you is wound what wounds you. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing a story, not, not it, not within the Mankind Project. So I feel I can sort of disclose it because it was a, a sort of anecdotal story that I heard. 
because um, confidentiality, obviously, of what we do is massively important. But I heard a story about a guy once who'd gone off to boarding school and um, he wrote his dad a letter begging him to pick him up because uh, he didn't want to be there and was lonely and all of that. And he got he got the letter back a week later and his dad had just corrected the spelling and grammar mm. and sent it back cold like that. And like, you know, you never know when that wounding's going to come. But that to me, when I heard it was like, fuck, that's worse than a beating. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at least, at least you can see the bruises, right? When you get hit with that. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's true though, and, and it's that stuff that you know, and, and that's why I like the premise of the work is is you know becoming aware of the stuff that's controlling me and coming out in my life unconsciously. Yeah, you know, there's there is lots of of you know men's organizations out there and charities that do different things and promote certain ways of dealing with things and how to get it right and you know it's all forms of the same sort of thing leading in the same direction um looking for the same outcome um one of the things for me that's different here and that i sense even in the men that i'm talking to in those different organizations is the baseline here which is which is really becoming you know working on being accountable working on what is integrity and those things underneath me becoming aware of that stuff, becoming conscious of the stuff that controls me, that, that comes out sideways at the people I love, my family, the people around me, and how my actions, intended or unintended, impact the world. So, and then therefore being better. That's, for me, there's a substantial difference in that stuff because there is a lot of surface level stuff that works really well and it has a good impact, but it's, it's about a level deeper uh, with the Mankind Project, which I enjoy. Um, and I didn't know that I enjoyed it until I reaped the benefits of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Mm. And here we are. Stuff. We went deep, quick, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So. And you know that's the the and there is a there's a there's a beauty in that moment there where you just said and there we are because. That's ultimately where we come to, isn't it? It's like, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've learned, no matter what journeys we've been through, at some point we go, and there we are. There was a guy I used to know MKP who always used to turn up and he used to go, you'd go, how are you doing? And he'd go, everywhere I go, there I am. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. You know so I mean? obvious, so simple. So, yeah. Everywhere I go, there I am. And yeah. it's like, yeah. And at some point, no matter our journey, we go, and here I am. Yeah. And, and then it becomes a choice. What do I do now with all of that stuff? Mm. Do, I, do I continue the way I'm going? Is that working for me? If not, what's a different way? Mm. And, you know, things like, the NWTA, things like having a regular men's group, things like just help me answer that question of, and there I am, and what now? You know, and it brings us back to meaning. There you go. The, the, the meaning is my compass. Mm. And there's, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's some acceptance in that as well, right? In, in that moment. And it's like you say, that's the, this is the place 
from where choice is possible, which takes me back to what I was saying earlier. It was just like, I don't, you know, there was times where I didn't understand. What do you mean I have a choice? It's like, it's making me feel more stupid because you're supposed to be this professional and you go, well, you have a choice, Brad. Well, I'm like, I don't know what the choice is. Yeah. So I'm now feeling more incompetent and more incapable. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's and it's not even always, it's certainly not always a pleasurable ride all the way there, you know, doing all the work, it's difficult. But it's that, yeah. Well, there we are. And here I am, and here you are. And there's an for me, there's an acceptance in that moment. Yeah, Ramdas has a really nice phrase that says, We're all just walking each other home. Yeah. Right. Life is just walking each other home. And I love that. And and that home has become a very significant metaphor for me because often in my life it will I'll feel like you know I'll get caught up in a new idea or, or a new project or a new thing right and it becomes a new relationship a new whatever it is right and it becomes all encompassing and and it's like it's like I go out for a little while and I I go on this journey and I get involved in this thing. And then every now and again, this sort of circular thing happens where suddenly I, I come back home and I go, oh, okay, I'm home for a minute. Let's take stock. What happens there? What was that all about? What did I learn? Cool. I feel like I lost myself there a little bit. And then off I go again. You know, and that thing of, I think a lot of my journey has been finding home within me so that I'm the consistent, solid part in my life. And we talked about our desire for control. The more I learn is the only control that I have is in finding home in me because it's the only constant. Yeah. Now, however I want to look at my life, I'm going, I'm experiencing it on my own. Mm -hmm. so it's a solo game played with others, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's I well, this. skateboarding so much. It's so, so low support <laughs> yes. you do with others. Yeah, we've got we've got to we've got to have something. Hey? And it's it's I got to this point last night on a call as well. I was like, you know, it's only ever me. You know, yeah, it really is. It's it's you know what works for me, what doesn't work for me. Is it really important sometimes why it doesn't work for me? You know, in in relationships with people, just generally friends, working relationships, intimate relationships, particularly, that's where the stuff really comes up. It's like having a mirror in front of me all the time. The stuff that I'm not able to cope with, it's not that other person. It's not what they're doing. It's me. All it ever is, is me. And it's like Abraham Lincoln, you know, he's got that quote, um, says, you know, we're only as happy as we make up our minds to be. Yeah. It's like those terrible breakups, isn't it, where you're like, no, it's not you. It was me. Yeah. But the thing is, the bastard of it is actually that is true. <laughs> yeah, but it's meant that statement yeah. is meant in some sort of superficial, like yeah. You know, but it's the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like most things in our society, the sayings and terminologies and things, everything's bastardized. Yeah. And most of these sayings and things that we have, people don't even. I reckon we don't even know what the original meaning of them is. You know, like awful, for example, awful. The root of awe is awesome, right? Awesome yeah. awe means like, wow, I'm in awe of something. How great is this? But we've managed to make it something that means terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It should be, yeah, we, we should be full of awe. Yeah, exactly. Crazy stuff, man. Could be wow, a yeah, you... awful. Could be, What's that? Could, could be a bastardization of the word awful. Awful. Yeah, could be. 
what's that's like uh, insights it's more like the guts and all of that yeah. maybe it, yeah. maybe people originally started saying that that's awful awful yeah <laughs> <laughs> just got adapted yeah you know, in south africa it's called denims yeah. which is like the, the little kidneys and livers and lining and intestines and all that sort of stuff but yeah great brother thanks for coming through today